Welcome to Living Bread Radio Presents, a program designed to teach and evangelize about the Catholic faith through various speakers and presentations given in the local listening area. Today's show features Father Rick Wendell, a priest of the Diocese of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. His amazing story of life, death, and the graces he was given in Medjugorje will truly touch you. Today's talk was recorded at the Catholic Men's Fellowship of Northeast Ohio Annual Conference in February 2013. With part one of his conversion story, here is Father Rick Wendell. Well, gentlemen, I'm Father Rick Wendell. I serve in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee in Wisconsin and uh, home of the Green Bay Packers. I, have, I actually have a green vestment that was made for, for the specifically green and gold. And then I have this big G, which I still haven't put on there, for God, right? <laughs> on game day. I'm what they call a late vocation. I, I was ordained at, at 46 years old. I'm 53 now. In fact, I was telling somebody I, I got begged to come back to my 30th high school reunion. And uh, I hadn't been to one. In fact, the, the last time they were about five years out when I had hair down to here and was skiing for a living, I, they said, can we come to your house? Because when I threw my graduation party from high school, 500 people paid to come. Porta potties, right? Live music. Started with six kegs. I'm the last person anybody would have, thought, would have talked about God, even though I went to a Catholic school and was raised Catholic. They got me to go to my 30th high school reunion, not because of any other reason than I was a priest. Well, I, I rolled into the parking lot in my jet black Chrysler 300 Hemi <laughs> with the Wisconsin personalized plate said, Father. I got out with uh, the ultimate power suit. I mean, even when you roll into a courtroom, if you got your clerks on, you are recognized, right? It's the ultimate power suit. I go to get my stuff out of the car, and this guy says, you don't remember me, but my younger brother's ordained a priest now. Can I carry your bags? Now I got a porter. <laughs> and then I, I, I go in, and the only addition they had put on that high school was, was a, a, a chapel. Somebody's child had died, and they... They built this beautiful chapel because we used to go, you know, in the late 70s, we would go to school mass right down by the, the steam pipes. But I went in there and the teachers were there. The teachers had come back to eyeball because there's no way in the world Rick Wendell is a priest. You know, and I went to five proms my senior year with different girls at different schools. Ah, uh-uh. ah. You know what they say, priests take the vow of celibacy, but married men live it. But, the, you know, so here's these girls, you know, I took her to a concert and this and that. and You just don't know how your life's going to turn out. But I, I, I know for myself that it was directly God's intervention into my own life that changed the course of it. There, there is really no, other than a historical reference, uh, connection to the person I was, the life I lived, the things I believed, who I had as friends, what I did for work any of that. It's all different. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much a product of the culture. 
I came up in a time where we weren't well catechized. We weren't taught our faith well. And, and there was still some remnants of, of a real Catholic culture, which in the Milwaukee area still exists in Friday fish fries, even if people don't remember why they did it. By the time I got out of high school, I was fairly disillusioned because it seemed that what was going on with the church was, it was disconnected and even its ministers didn't seem to know what they, were, what they were doing, what they were teaching, and they, there wasn't this kind of, with, with certain and real exceptions, because I had some really great priests, but the culture, as the Jesuits would say, the world of flesh and the devil, really impacted, and it draws you away, and it, and it tries to separate us from, from the knowledge and the love of God. And we have to be taught. We have to be taught. We don't just walk into the woods one day, deer hunting, and find, oh, a holy Bible. I wonder what that means. You know, we have to, this, this faith has been handed on faithfully from generation to generation to us today. And it is our job, ultimately, to pass that faith on faithfully and to live it. My life led me to where I ultimately, by the time I was done with my last year of college, I was so disillusioned with the world and the church that I just went and, and I never did go to medical school. I, I went and went to the deepest powder snow accessible in this continent, which is Little Cottonwood Canyon, Utah, Snowbird in Alta, the steep and the deep. And before there was a word for, for it, if you couldn't ski down it, you jump off it. We did extreme skiing before there was a word for it. I've been an instructor, a ski patrol. You know, my first personal dog was my German shepherd who climbed ladders and bite work and all this kind of fun stuff. And I, and I lived a life that was very much hedonistic. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean, I, I had a deputy sheriff, um, retired, who was a deacon, and I started to talk to him about the drug trade, and he didn't even know what I was talking about. I, I've seen stuff. I've been places no one should ever go. And, but for the grace of God, when I go to visit the guys in prison, I really mean, but for the grace of God, I could be with you. But God didn't end there. I, I, I was successful. I was a good student. I was a good athlete. I, stuff came really easy to me. I, they did West Side Story as the first musical when I got to high school, and so all the jocks would play gang members, and so I could go and be leads in musicals, and share outstanding artists in my high school, and this, and that, and, and I, I did schoolwork, and it still comes to me easy, but I became arrogant and self-serving and anything but humble, and anything I tried to do, it seemed I could do well. And so when I, I in the summertime, I was as a professional lifeguard, and then in the wintertime, I was a professional skier, and so I had to do something in the shoulder season, so I started working construction, and then liked the money more than I liked getting a suntan in the summer. So by the time I was 27, I had 15 men working for me in a nice little construction company doing custom homes. And well, on my way, getting bigger boats and more cars and more clothes, and I can't fit into anymore. And I met this, up with this girl that was a year older than me in high school again, and the pretty girls don't date the younger guys then until by the time you're you know, 29 years old, you're so arrogant, and you know, when I rolled into a room, I just, you're going to, you know, we're going on a date tomorrow. 
And uh, what I knew about love, fell in love with her, got engaged to be married. So if you're going to go, go large, right? So, you know, I had this big uh, engagement thing where I had a client um, make a ring very specially. I got, you know, and, and wrote poetry and had it hand calligraphied. And I had a horse-drawn carriage and the, the string quartet on Valentine's Day. You know, and, and all, the, all the women are elbowing their husband, you know. And so I then go down to the cathedral. Because if you're going to go, go large, right? Go to the cathedral, and if you just get a set of envelopes within six months before and go through their program, jump through the hoops, you can get married at the cathedral. So I went through marriage prep. No one gets by me now, right? It's, it's no hoop jumping. It, I did it to hoop jump. But we're the only church that, that requires people to have premarital counseling. And that is a good thing. Because we all have vested interest in the success of a Catholic definition of what marriage is. So I'm well on my way. I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm playing sports. I'm, I've got, I've got a, uh, at that point, a 24-footer. The last boat I had was a 40-footer. I lived on the river. I had the right address, had the right stuff. You know, I'm successful in the eyes of the world. But I'm a horse's hind end as a human being. I mean, I've, I've literally thought, and like people do, that everything revolved around me, right? You were here for me. If you were an advantage to me, business-wise or social or whatever, then that's fine. But if you weren't, you know, everything was like instrumental. You just used it. Well, I'm 30 years old, and I, I get uh, hit in the face with this landscaping spike, and it causes a cut. It needs stitches. And I've got lots of them. I've Three surgeries here, three surgeries here, five on this knee, one on that. Both ankles have been broken. Broke this collarbone, 1968, jumping a Schwinn with a banana seat, not a mountain bike. You know, I separated this shoulder, jumping off freight trains because I didn't go to Florida, you know, on spring break. I'd jump freight, just anything for a thrill, right? So I go to get stitched up, and I'm ski patrol, I, uh, essentially an EMT, and I, I went to go in and... My mother had had a heart attack when my dad served divorce papers on her after 30 years of marriage and was living with me, and, so I, and she wasn't working anymore, so I had her drive me to the hospital. I got to the hospital. They stitched me up. I left, and while I was waiting for her to go get something out of the grocery store, my heart started to race, and, and I thought it was like, you know, it's just... It's, it's heat exhaustion. It's too hot in here, so I turned on the air conditioner. I tried to settle myself down. It just kept beating faster and faster, and I was like, this isn't good. And, and I finally got out of the car thinking, you know, they're going to find me if I don't go in. So I, I grabbed the busboys, I went through the door, and I said, you're going to have to do CPR, and I collapsed. And then, apparently my mother was right there. And because she ran laboratories, you know, uh, her whole life, was, she, she, she just said, you, you dial 911, you do this, you do that, and everybody listened to her. And up the street and around the corner is the fire barn. So the, the ambulance comes right away, and she goes, don't assess him, ship him. And we're only five blocks to the hospital that I just came from. So they put me into the ambulance, and they never got out of the parking lot, and I had a full cardiac arrest. So they shocked me three times with the paddles. They were doing manual closed chest heart massage, you know, oxygen assist, slap a couple IVs in you. 
and mom knew something seriously went wrong because she beat the ambulance to the hospital. And they scrambled everybody. And they, they came in and they began to work on me furiously, but they couldn't get me to go into a, a sinus rhythm and they couldn't get me to breathe on my own. I had gone cyanotic, that ashen blue-gray color, and then ultimately they didn't show my mom the oxygenation, the blood reports, because she used to run that lab. Because in the, normally it's 7-4, it's I forget what the decimal's on it, but, but when it drops to like 7 as an indicator of the oxygenation of your blood, it's your pH, they usually quit the life-saving procedures because you're brain damaged, right? But I had on my license that little thing that says donor, right? And I would, I'm called, I have what's called, you know, I'm going to witness the rest, and I'm in really good shape, and I'm AB positive blood. There's only one more rare blood type, AB neg. So I'm less than 3% of the population, so I'm really valuable in parts. <laughs> and you know how that works, right? They, 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 they've got to take you to a harvest center, right? Stabilize you, take you to a harvest center, and then they, they call everybody who shows up with that insulated lunchbox for their part, right? And then they carve you up, heart, lungs, liver, cornea, bone, bone marrow, skin, they, you know, they take everything. My mother knows something, you know, intuitively, this is bad, and calls my father, who decides to wait two hours till he's done with work because Rick's always in the hospital doing something, and he always, get, he, he always dodges the bullet. My two brothers happened to be in town. Both of them were living out of town at that point. They were there in town. My fiance, her mother who drove her, and, and they had left the, the suite open so that anybody came in could see them working on me, changing off, doing manual closed chest heart massage, and Ernie, the respiratory tech, bagging me, right? And the, the ambulance crew never left. And I remember losing consciousness. And then I must have been in the ambulance because all of a sudden I could, there was this guy over the top of me leaning on me and I couldn't feel it. it, it and I was just kind of like observing it. But I could see everything, including like behind me at the same time. I wasn't out hovering, but I could see everything. And I wasn't afraid, but it wasn't like angels or something, you know. This guy's leaning on me, and I could see the IV bag shaking, and they're having this excited conversation, but somehow I'm not paying attention to what they're saying. And then it was like going through a picture. It's like being here with you, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm on the other side of the picture. It, it's really hard to, because everything breaks down in the sense that you can't talk about things in a material way that we understand. So all of a sudden, I'm in this darkness, and I'm, I'm not emotional in any way, or scared, or happy, or nothing. I'm just there. And then there's light, but you can't really say it's distance, and you can't say it's light like fluorescent light, or sunlight, or color, or intensity. It doesn't, it's before that, beyond that, pure light. And to me, I guess that's how someone could say it looks like a tunnel to some people who have had similar experiences, but I didn't see it. It wasn't like going through a tunnel under a field house or something. It, it just... All of a sudden, and it, you can't, it, time doesn't compute, distance doesn't compute. It, all of a sudden, I'm in the presence of this light, and I don't have to think about things, I just know it. And I know there's God. Before any question I ever had, however intelligent I might have thought it was, God is. It, it was way before thought. It, 
God truly exists. God is. You know, that's where I got it. You know, time is, is like, it doesn't exist like a thing to itself. It's just our way of relating to the things that happen around us. You know, we, we make clocks and calendars and, and, and we are always adjusting them, but, but there, there's a reality to the changing of the seasons and all that kind of stuff. And, but our perception of time changes, right? Whenever we all know that, you know, you're, you're in second grade and the clock goes tick, right? And when you get old enough and all of a sudden you go, January's gone. Or you wake up after the homily. <laughs> but you're the same person inside who, who life-changing events could happen at recess. Oh, and as time perceiving speeds up, there are certain events in our life that... I remember one accident watching the glass rain down. Everything was in slow motion. And then your hair starts turning colors. And... All that stuff you said in high school about how I'll never be like that goes right out the window, you know? And, and then you smile and you look and there's another wrinkle? That there's a reality to that in that sense, but I've understood for the first time, there's no beginning or end to God. There's no past and future. God is. And everything that is, is because God is. That I understood for the first time, really what eternity is about. It's being eternally in the now. And that I wasn't God, but He loved me. And even saying He, and Jesus did come to reveal the Father, that even He pales in comparison to saying, God loves me with such intensity. Like my earthly father did not know how to show me Affection. It wasn't that he was trying to withhold it. It was part of that generation. It was part of how he was raised. He didn't know how to tell you he loved you. He didn't know how to wrap his arms around and tell you he was proud of you. you know, and so you get a skewed view of what God the Father would be. This is, but I was loved and am loved, but in that moment of such intensity that there is nothing else. You don't care about anything else. The fact that you are loved is all that's important. You know, how do you take an eternal moment, an eternal thing that doesn't have time, and try and explain it in time or by, or, or by time standards or, or material things? It just pales. I didn't care about anything else, just that I, I'm, I was loved. Then all of a sudden I was like ripped away from it, and I felt like I was falling. And so I kept reaching for, for the light because I didn't want to leave. I had been without my own sinus rhythm, my own respiratory, for almost two and a half hours. They were trying to stabilize me so they could ship me. My eyes had become fixed, but not yet dilated. I didn't respond to any coma or pain, pain stimulation. And every indication was that I was brain dead. My mother dragged my fiance into the room. And they stood on either side of me and yelled at me that I was loved and that I could not leave. And my mother turned, said to God, I need him. But if you need him, take him. If you give him back, though, give him back to me whole or not at all. And my arm came up and wrapped around him. And it shocked the doctors. They were like, what? And they all talked to me, the doctors, nurses, everybody after. And in a, in a, you know, all of a sudden, I, I'm, I'm reacting. I get my own rhythm. They stabilize me. I, they ship me to, into uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, 
And by the time my family caught up with me, I was sitting up in bed and talking. And I was in the ICU, youngest guy there. There's a heck of a lot more than just that. But that moment changed the very course of my existence from then on. And what was my response going to be to this profound grace that God had given me? Given me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I just got it. And I'm fast-forwarding a little bit, but my mother said, you're going to scare away your friends. And I said, this happened to me. I, I, I can't any, any more explain it physically beyond, beyond the records than then you talk about other things. Well, what, what's the measuring cup for love or justice? The things that we can't quantify in science. It was Friday afternoon at 3 p.m., that I died. I didn't know until years later, Sister Faustina's revelations through Jesus Christ, it's the hour of mercy. I was 30 years old, a carpenter, if you will. Why, I won't find out until the other side. But on Saturday, they did every test they could think of and they couldn't, couldn't find anything. Couldn't find anything wrong. No residual damage, nothing. A couple came in and they... Uh, they brought in a computer-generated sign, and they had asked God, you know, what should they put on it, and they put on Psalm 30. And I marked it, put it on the bedstand. Didn't think anything more of it. Because I'm Catholic, man. I didn't even know where Psalms was in the Bible. Right? Is it Old Testament? Is it New Testament? I didn't know where it was. I hadn't been in the Bible. I hadn't been in church in a decade. And anyway, I marked it. And then on the dawn of the third day, and God's all about drama, all about drama. The dawn of the third day, which happens to be Sunday. I'm in the hospital instead of being in church. And I relive the experience of dying. Spiritually aware. Horrified to find out that had I gone to judgment, I would have gone to hell. Now, I used to wear a 9mm. My hands are all scarred up. My brother got his black belt. I threw him to the ground, grabbed him by the neck, cleomastoid muscle right here. Really painful and choke you out in a minute. Before there was MMA, there was street fight, right? I, I put his ranking belt on the ground twice in five minutes. I had a cop pull a gun on me when I had my Eagle Scout uniform at 16 because I was running my Mustang too hard. I mean, I, I've, I've been in places people shouldn't go. I'll tell you, I've never known fear like the fear of God. Fear not the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the soul. I was shaking. I was so scared. And the first thing I did is I picked up Psalm 30 and it said, uh, I praise you, Lord, for you raised me up and you did not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the depths. You kept me from going down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you faithful. Give thanks to God's holy name, for divine anger lasts only a moment. Divine favor lasts a lifetime. At dusk, weeping comes for the night, but at dawn there is rejoicing. And it goes on to say, Remember not the sins of my youth. He led me through the Bible, Old Testament, about how I had been banished from my inheritance and I was now going to be restored. Israel, man who turns to God. Israel is not a nation state, it's you, it's me. He led me through the Old Testament. 
thematically, this, this is a New Testament phrase, but this sickness was not unto death, but to life, and it happened for a reason. And I'm bawling at this point, and I don't cry. There's a presence in the room that I know this is pivotal, and everything was exactly that. And then it was kind of putting words to a thought. For this, you must give glory and praise to God. And then this voice to my being with ultimate authority, stand up. And I stood up, and everything that, was, that I was led to was like this praise of God. And I understand the rocks will praise him if we don't. And, and then it starts coming out of my mouth out loud, and I'm going, this is really weird, right? Because I didn't do anything. I mean, it was just like, and I'm looking up at the telemetry unit, you know, playing. I'm thinking, you know, what do the nurses see down at the nurses' station? Because this is a full person, body, mind, soul experience. And I'm, I'm just freaked. It, I'm, I'm, I'm walking around. I got a Bible in my hand. I'm praising God. I'm like, what's going on? And I walked into the bathroom because... If you don't cry often, you don't cry well. You don't, you're not practiced. I had snot running out of my nose. So I needed to get something to wipe it off. So I walk into the bathroom, and I can remember every detail of the room. Because the theme switched and was, this is what you have done with your life. Give me your life. And then the voice, on your knees. And I knelt down, and everything in that room is seared into my head and then I looked at myself in the mirror just like all of us I'm trying to do a reality check right this is emotional this is some kind of reaction if there's physical trauma maybe it reduces some brain chemical and you have a you have a, a moment you know and I'm looking at myself in the mirror and without being mean he goes no you know exactly what's happening to you and you know who it is don't you it's kind of like don't you feel stupid for asking a question you already know the answer to and I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I just kind of interiorly went, okay. So what do you do when you have some traumatic experience and you don't know anybody who knows God? Call your mom. Whether it's on the battlefield or not, you call your mom. She was just trying to be com you know, comforting. And she said, my voice changed and whatever I said to her convicted her. She had to pray for my father for the rest of her life. There's more stories to all this. But if I was ever able to have had a card for my ordination, I would have put this on it. It's First Timothy. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Of these, I am the foremost. But for that reason, I was mercifully treated. So that in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display all his patience as an example for those who would come to believe in him for everlasting life. To the King of Ages, incorruptible, indivisible, the only God, honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this production of Living Bread Radio Presents. For an audio archive of this program, go to livingbreadradio.com and click on the programming menu. This has been a production of Living Bread Radio in Canton, Ohio. Join us again next week at the same time for more Living Bread Radio Presents.